Hello there and welcome back to another edition of the Homeschool Educational Supplements known as Interesting Stuff. Yeah, we dive into the topics that other people fear to touch and at the very least we hope that they are interesting for you. Maybe you learn something new. Maybe you remember something you forgot. Either way, today we will be looking at the race to the poles or how pioneering explorers battled extreme conditions to reach the ends of the earth because that's the kind of crazy people that we are and let's dive straight in and so by the turn of the 20th century few places on earth remained uncharted since the age of discovery humans had developed the means to cross oceans and explore continents in the interest of developing trade routes and expanding empires. The frozen expanses of the poles presented extreme challenges but offered different incentives, the irresistible lure of the unknown and the glory of getting there first. And so we begin at the top of the world. The geographical North Pole lies at the latitude of plus 90 degrees on a thick shelf of sea ice. The frozen sea shifts with the seasons, making journeys across the Arctic particularly treacherous. Explorers also face temperatures that can drop to minus 50 degrees Celsius, wind speeds of up to 90 kilometers per hour, and the prospect of being hunted by polar bears. Imagine that. You get all the way to the North Pole just to get chased away by a bear. Freaky, huh? So after several failed expeditions in the 1800s, in 1909, two successful missions to the North Pole by American explorers were curiously reported within a week of each other. The first was Dr. Frederick Cook, who accompanied by native hunters from Greenland, claimed to have reached the pole on the 28th of April 1908. The team left from Anoatok, Greenland in February 1908 and travelled an average of 24 kilometres per day using dog sleds plus a collapsible boat to cross the water where necessary. According to Cook's memoirs, he used a sextant to determine his latitude and calculated his position as a spot which was as near as possible to the North Pole. However, a perilous return journey over the fractured, drifting ice delayed their return to civilization and meant they were unable to send word home for another 14 months. And so despite the fact that it took them only two months to reach the pole, it took them over a year to get back home. Meanwhile, in August 1908, while Cook was missing, presumed dead, his former colleague, U.S. Navy Commander Robert Perry, set off on what was his ninth Arctic expedition. Using the so-called Perry system, his 50-man party rode dog sleds to perform a relay to drop supplies ahead along the route. Unlike Cook, Perry's team did not take boats, so when the ice fractured, they were sometimes left stranded for days until the gaps closed up again. When they were moving, they covered an average of 21 kilometers every day. Perry took regular sextant measurements to make sure they were still heading north. 
and on the 6th of April 1909 he recorded a latitude of just over 89 degrees and wrote in his journal, The Pole at Last, my dream and ambition for 23 years, it's mine. Now, the announcements of their respective successes almost coincided due to Cook's homeward delays and Perry's remarkably fast return trip. Cook's story was reported on the 2nd of September 1909, while Perry's was published on the 7th of September, but their achievements were overshadowed by the bitter feud that followed. Almost immediately, Perry and his expedition benefactors dismissed Cook's attempt. Perry even took the matter to Congress in order to get the government to officially recognize his achievements instead of Cook's claims. Even to this day, there are doubts regarding both Cook and Perry's claims. The explorers' accounts and any remaining evidence from both expeditions have been re-examined many times. Questions have been raised about the accuracy of both men's latitude measurements, reported travelling speeds and unusual omissions from their journals. It's unlikely that there will ever be a definitive answer as to how close each man truly came to the North Pole and who if either of them indeed reached it first. And so, at the bottom of the world, less than two years after Cook and Perry's feats first made headlines, preparations for another head-to-head polar race were just getting underway on the other side of the world. In January 1911, two teams of explorers arrived at the Antarctic, determined to be the first to reach the South Pole. The geographical South Pole is located at the latitude of minus 90 degrees on one of the most inhospitable places on the planet. Antarctica is the coldest place on Earth, holding the record for the lowest observed temperature at ground level of minus 89.2 degrees Celsius. The majority of the inner ice shelf is between 2 and 4 kilometers thick, so explorers may experience altitude sickness as they attempt to cross the continent. Antarctica is also home to one of the world's strongest winds. Certain areas can experience gusts of over 198 kilometers per hour. What's more, the continent is surrounded by the roughest and stormiest seawaters on the planet, the Southern Ocean so both teams faced significant dangers before their expeditions even began. The competing expeditions were led by Norwegian Captain Ronald Amundsen and British Captain Robert Falcon Scott, both of whom were already renowned explorers. Scott had previously tackled the Antarctic during the 1901-1904 Discovery Expedition with fellow explorers Ernest Shackleton and Dr. Edward Wilson making it to minus 82 degrees latitude, closer to the pole than anyone had ever reached before. Scott had been granted £20,000 funding from the government for the new expedition, and his preparations were given a lot of media attention. While Scott's expedition intentions were public, Amundsen kept his own polar plans a secret. He was already organizing an Arctic expedition when Perry and Cook's claims shattered his lifelong dream of being the first to the North Pole. But rather than abandoning the expedition altogether, he revised the plans to make an attempt at the South Pole instead. Even Amundsen's own crew were still under the impression that they were heading to the Arctic until the truth was revealed en route. 
Scott's team arrived in Antarctica on the 4th of January 1911 at Cape Evans. While they were setting up base camp and preparing for the trek ahead, they were completely unaware that Amundsen's crew had landed just 640 kilometers away in the Bay of Wales on the 14th of January. Both teams spent most of the year making preparations for their expeditions, laying supply drops along their respective routes before setting off in the Antarctic spring. Amundsen on the 20th of October and Scott on the 1st of November. Key differences between the tactics and the equipment of the two crews spelled success for one and tragedy for the other. Amundsen's small specialized team included champion skiers and expert dog handlers. They had specially modified skis, wolfskin furs, windproof suits, and knew how to wear their layers loosely to avoid sweating so much, a tip Amundsen had learned from the Inuits during a previous Arctic expedition. They reached the South Pole on the 14th of December and returned safely to base camp on the 25th of January 1912. Scott's team was less experienced with both the cold weather and skiing. They brought ponies and motor sleds, but this soon proved to be a grave mistake. Both were unable to cope with the extremes of Antarctica. The sleds failed and were abandoned, and the weakened ponies were eventually shot for food. They reached the pole on the 17th of January 1912, devastated to find the Norwegian flag had already been firmly planted there. Scott's team were suffering from malnutrition, starvation, frostbite, and hypothermia as temperatures dropped to around minus 30 and minus 40 degrees Celsius. None of them survived the return to base camp. Scott ran out of rations and fuel and was trapped in his tent by a blizzard, despite being just a few miles away from a supply stash. His tragic last journal entry on the 19th of March read, we shall stick it out to the end, but we are getting weaker, of course, and the end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write more. Amundsen sent word of his historic success on the 7th of March 1912 and was duly hailed a hero. However, his glory was later eclipsed when the world learned the fate of Scott and his men, who were seen as martyrs. As with Perry and Cook, Amundsen and Scott's journeys have been re-examined over the years, not to dispute whether or not they reached the South Pole, but to determine the combination of factors that led to Scott's failure. And, you know, all of these pioneering expeditions of the early 20th century were among the last of what became known as the heroic age of polar exploration. These men were admired for the sheer determination it took to face such harsh conditions with limited resources, pushing their physical and mental strength to the absolute limit in the pursuit of immortality. This courageous era of discovery drew to a close after World War I, when engineering and technological advancements made such journeys, relatively speaking, much more straightforward. And yet, since the first polar pioneers, people have continued to travel to both the Arctic and Antarctic in the name of science. Today, there are a whole host of research stations in the polar regions that are teaching us more and more about our planet. Antarctica's remote Concordia Research Station 
is even used to help train astronauts preparing the next generation of explorers for the uncharted areas that lie far beyond the Earth itself. And what do you think about these people? Were they mad? Were they crazy? I wonder what drove them. I wonder what thoughts they had. It's such a shame that we don't have the audio and video from those times so that we can learn more. But we have to tip our hats to those adventurers down throughout history who have gone out and done what other people had said was absolutely impossible. So thanks very much for tuning in to the Interesting Stuff edition for today. I hope you got something out of this. If you'd like a different topic, let me know. I'll try to cover it. Remember, as always, there are comprehension questions under the video. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I wish you an absolutely fantastic day. Speak to you soon. Take care, guys.